Running the bases with small businesses. I'm Randy Rohde, and I have a passion to work with small businesses, and I love baseball. So I thought, hey, let's bring them together. So every episode, I sit down with local entrepreneurs, business builders, and small business owners to talk about their wins and whiffs, their tools of the trade, and to give actionable tips to other business managers. We'll cover the bases with entrepreneurship, operations, sales, digital marketing, innovation, plus a little fun baseball talk. Thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say, play ball. Oh, I wish I had a box of Cracker Jacks, you know, because that actually would taste really good right now. So, uh, all right. Thanks for taking us out, Gary. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Randy Rohde, and you are listening to Running the Bases with Small Businesses. And uh, today I'm pretty excited. We've got Ken Fanger from On Technology Partners, which is an IT network security deployment and monitoring service. So I want to get into your technology protection and security business here in a minute. But first, I have to ask, what's the most incredible emergency situation you've had to battle when it comes to a company's technology security? So we have a nonprofit in the region, and they were getting ready. They get most of their funding in June, and they had a database system that all of their information was on, and they have to put in all their grant requests. And I was actually in Florida at the time at a convention, and I got a call uh, Saturday at nine o'clock, their server had crashed. It was gone. All the information was gone. Everything was gone. That would have to be like the biggest nightmare scare for any company. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, especially since they were $25 million in grants that they couldn't file for. It was just absolutely horrific. So I was able to get on with their team and we were able to recover it using the backups we use. We actually were able to spin everything up and they were back up within 20 minutes of me getting on the phone call with them. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? I am serious. Nobody knew that they lost everything. And you were like techno <laughs> Superman there. Yeah. Well, sometimes we we're completely invisible, which is good at that time. Nobody panicked. Nobody was scared. Everything was in on time. They won their grants. They made their funding for that year. Well, good for you. I'm sure anybody who's ever experienced anything like your client at the time was probably going, I got to get a hold of this guy because that I've had that it's a nightmare so I'm sure everybody's wondering who is this techno wizard right so um go ahead give give the audience a little bit of the background who you are how you ended up as this kind of master of technology and uh, give us give us the lowdown so um I've been doing this for over 30 years I have my MBA is actually operations management and uh, I had envisioned life that I'd actually be a warehouse supervisor my first job was with truck stops of America if anybody's working there. Um, And so I was responsible for doing all the uh, payroll, or not payroll systems, um, warehouse systems design. And that's when I realized two things. One, I hated being a programmer and I wanted to stop being a programmer desperately. And two, I really enjoyed figuring out how systems worked. So I left there and I moved on to Benvenue Labs, who used to be out in Bedford. I became their network administrator. And so as I got more skills, I still always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I still found when I, because I used to work for BP before I worked for Tri-Stops America, the biggest problem I ran into in corporate America was everything was through committee. Every decision, every action. When I was doing payroll programming for BP, every time I wanted to make a change, I had to get 
eight to 10 people together and reevaluate the change. In fact, this is kind of a great story. When I was in BP as a payroll programmer, I was actually still an intern when I started. And I was looking at this program and we had 10 senior programmers around this table. And this program moved all payroll for all BP, which was over a billion dollars every month. And as I was going through this program, while they were doing all this techno babble and all this stuff, I went through and said, um, this doesn't actually transfer Truck Stops America, which was part of BP at that time, which was $160 million. So every month they were short $160 million out of that account and they paid penalties on it. And the company was so big, they didn't even notice that they were doing this. Oh man! And it was a small mistake, but everybody missed it. And when I brought it up, they all kind of had that look at me like, who are you? How <laughs> dare you tell us how to do our job? And then all of a sudden they went and reviewed it and went, oh crud. And they fixed that piece. So, so um, you saved some money. So you, you probably like crafted it like, here I am, right? I'll yeah. see that in my bonus, right? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work in a big company all the time. They, they don't like to be shown that they've made mistakes. That was one of the things I learned is companies would rather not know bad things yeah. than be the person that tells them something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I had to get out of that environment. Not that they're bad, but there are certain types of people that fit very well into that, that can do that very structured process. And then there's people like us that want to go out and change the world right. ourselves. Right. So yeah. I and went, maybe that's the entrepreneur bug, right? So when you yes. said, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and it's that I want to change something. I've always, you know, it's like trying to explain, you know, the drive about being an entrepreneur. And I think that almost sums it up. It's like, I want to be able to change something, whatever that is. And that's what drives. Yes. Uh -huh. I, I think you're hundred percent right. It's that, you know, there's something you can do better. Not that anybody else is doing it wrong, but you can do it better. The last job I ever had before I started on Technology Partners was at Benvenue. And I remember I brought in, we brought in a company to put together a new database system to control all the drug manufacturing. And I was amazed by the number of times they came and asked me how to set up their systems. And I was like, I can do this better than you. I'm going to go out and do this as a profession, because if you guys keep asking me how to do your job, why am I paying you? And so that was after that, I was off and running on our own company. So now how long has on technology been in 28 years, 28 years, 28 years. Yeah. We wow. started out in education. We did it for schools. So I worked for directly for Cuyahoga Heights schools wow. and yeah. we actually put in the first wireless network in any public school in Ohio. Wow. So, really? Yep. Man, I've, I've got like a, you know, you're on the, the hall of fame here for <laughs> technology in Ohio. Yeah. We, we, we always try to do new things yeah. and because technology is always going to be technology and you just got to figure out how to use it. Mm. And that's one of the things I always talk to my employees and customers about is don't think of it as what is the technology that's new out there. Think about what is the problem you want to fix? Mm. What is harming your ability to do work? What is harming you from getting to move forward? Once you know that, then you just find things like when we're doing this conversation here, right. audio conferencing, all that stuff. It's a technology to solve a problem of sharing a story. Right. If you start with sharing a story, you can build yourself to that how do you do it type of conversation. Right. Oh, that's a good way to, uh, to to actually kind of pull it together that way. So, and maybe I'll just you know for the the, the other kind of non techie or um, in layman's terms, give me like a quick like what does on technology partners do in the in kind of layman's terms, right? So the 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 business guys that own you know net or have networks in their companies or whatever, what what can you do for them? Well, the best way to say what we do is we help you protect your team from hackers and. I've learned that that is the best way to put it. Technology shouldn't be a bunch of technocrat terms. 
And at the end of the day, all you want to do is make sure that your team can keep working, that your team right. can be safe. And especially with what's happening with the coronavirus and the stay at home, all of a sudden, all these employees are working. They're doing your important data, but it might be not as secure as it should be. And how do you make sure they can get to that security levels? And you can't do it. Most of my competitors go out and will take care of it for you. But think about this. Would you want your doctor to take care of cancer for you and not know what was happening? That puts you at kind of a real situation. Mm -hmm. You want to work with your doctor. You want to mm -hmm. work with us to build a plan that fits your business and your company, not just run out there and hope they do it right for you. Right. Oh, that's good. That's a good way to, to throw it together. So I, I'm assuming, and I know actually in your, in your world, you do have competitors. So what is your unique solution or um, value proposition? So most of our competitors has this concept. They are called managed service providers or MSPs you'll see out there. And their concept is they're going to make you as close to everybody else as they can. So it's very easy to take care of you. The problem is your business is not everybody else's business. So our approach is different. We take the time to sit down and talk with you and figure out what your goals and your expectations are. And then we build a plan to fit into that. Instead of making you fit our plan, we fit yours. Okay. So you've stated that so eloquently, kind of succinctly right in there. How long did you like 28 years ago start out of the box with that? Or <laughs> how long did it take you to get to that point here? About 28 years, but <laughs> um, no. And, and we went through many different iterations. And so when, when we first started, we were what you would call just a standard implementing company. And that was when technology, you know, didn't know how to set up a switch. What does a switch mean? How do you set up a router? All these terms, which were techno terms for so long, would confuse a lot of small businesses. So we would go in and help them do those basic configurations, get themselves so that they could get to the internet. And then we showed them where on the internet they actually wanted to go. So that's where we were for a long time. But then these things called implementers started to fade out. And actually, I think it's five years ago now, we went through 10,000 small businesses, which is a phenomenal program right. yeah. for anyone. And and at that point, we started to look at how could we change? We had to pivot and we've had to pivot again just recently. Um, so as we went through this pivot, we said, what can we do differently? And we started to look at how people were doing cybersecurity. And it's funny because I have a good friend who was one of the senior security advisors for Walter Kluwer's. And he said he always finds it funny. All these security companies throw all this massive technology, but people should start with simple things like make sure you do patches on your computers. I don't know if you remember, but Coventry schools got wiped out because they didn't do patches. Right. And so we will start with that simple of a level to get you because it's amazing. 90% of your problems come from not doing 10% of the things that are easy. Right. And I know I don't, I don't can probably not recall all of the details around the Covington schools, but just to, so when you start talking about patches, meaning like, Hey, do the updates to your software that you get the notifications. Hey, there's a new, you know, Microsoft uh, uh, update. Do you want to install it now? Do you want to do it? But I know on that whole thing with the Coventry, I mean, it cost them several hundred thousand dollars, didn't it? To finally figure this thing out? It Well, yes. They, they It was more than several hundred thousand. It was almost a million because every computer in the district got wiped out, including the ones that controlled the doors and the HVAC. So they had to bring all those people in the school, which is to a school district, one of the worst things. They were shut down for four days. Wow. And so it pushed them into danger of not having enough academic days. And it was a really disastrous thing. And there was a patch to stop that already released on the Windows platform. All so right. they would have been, and they're not the only ones. I mean, right, I don't want right. to pick on them. It's no, not that exactly. they did a bad yeah. thing. It's that it's very common. Well, I love the idea of when you're talking about pivot and kind of that 
awareness or the light turned on at some point, you know, a few years back for you. So, you know, as small business operators, we all have, you know, I, I think uh, at various points and hopefully we have a few more successes than failures or depending upon, you know, some people say, you know, like, well, hey, sometimes you have 10,000 failures and you have that one success that really is going to propel you. But can you share maybe with your incredible background, one or two from each of those buckets, you know, the successes that you've had and the failures, because, you know, again, I always try to tell people it's okay to fail. It's not the issue about the failure. It's how do you step back up after what would you learn from it and how do you move on? And that's what I think is kind of critical for entrepreneurs, especially. So how about sharing some of your experience? Sure. I'd love to. And I always say you should have way more failures than successes. Yeah. You just should not have the same failure twice. And so I'll, I'll give you a great example talking about Truck Stops of America. And this is one of the ones that really changed my attitude towards things like backups. I was, again, the systems developer for Truck Stops. And I was trying to fix a problem in their database, which is their list of all of their inventory for all $5 million of goods they had. And it had a problem. It had a corruption that was making it so you could not get through it properly. And I had a brilliant plan. I used this delete command that I wrote and I thought it was going to ask me every time, which each record as it went through. So it popped up and said, would you like to delete this record? I said, yes. And then it just went away and I saw three dots and that little flashing cursor that all of us that remember DOS remember. Right. And it ran and it ran and it ran. And then it said 5,800 records deleted. I had wiped out everything. <laughs> and you just said, oh my God. And this was my fourth day on the job. <laughs> I was to admit panicking myself in yeah. many, many ways. Yeah. But what I did was, I remember I walked into the network administrator. His name was also Ken, amazing guy. And I said, I'm fired. He, he, he looked up from his computer and he says, Ken, what are you talking about? I'm like, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm gone. He said, okay, calm down. You're going to want to see me leave after I tell you this, but yes. And he said, okay, what happened? So I told him I had this corruption. I tried to do this. He said, it's not a problem. We have a backup. Uh, All we're going to lose is a half a day's worth of work. Yeah. And from that day forward, I have always been committed to making sure we have good, good backups. That, that is what they would call baptism by fire. It's like, I saw the light. I got it. Yes, exactly. That was the baptism by fire. I thought wow. for sure I was going to be brought in and that was going to be my last day yeah. as an IT person anywhere in the country. Wow. All right. So you, so that's a good one. Thanks for sharing that. Obviously, you skated through that one. Thank God for backups. Uh, how about successes? What kind of stuff uh, toot your own horn here? So no, and, and it's really great because I can show one of my greatest successes was Cleveland City Council. When we got hit with that virus, we work with Cleveland, we're several departments within Cleveland. And the first thing we had to do was help them figure out how to be virtual. So I worked and figured out how to set all the protocols. We set up Zoom, we set up YouTube. So you are able as a citizen, a resident of Cleveland, you can go and watch every single one of their council meetings. It's actually probably even easier now. We set up multiple ways for them to do that. We created the protocols so that you wouldn't have any Zoom bombing, as you've probably all heard, where people come in and do bad things. So we worked with them and built that entire structure. We got it ready in a week and a half. They didn't miss a single council meeting. Wow. 
Good for you. And you're, you're using the plural, uh, saying we. So you've got uh, a team there at, yes. uh, on Technology Partners. So, uh, And I think I read in the notes, you've got a nine-member team. Yep. Um, and you are doing something that I would say is like good for you, if uh, that your wife is actually plays a prominent role in your mm-hmm. company. Well, she's the boss. Okay. <laughs> yes, she's been the boss from the beginning. Well, <laughs> as all husbands, I would say, well, of course she's, she's the boss. The boss. <laughs> yes. In this case, she's the boss both at at home and at the office. Yes, okay. So that took a little while. It was amazing the number of people that were surprised we can do that. Yeah. And we have come to a very good relationship and we work very well together. And a lot of it has to do with we don't work directly together every day. Okay. She goes and she does what she does. She's very good at finding RFPs. She used to be a nurse manager for the clinic before she took over running full-time okay. on tech. And so she has that managerial skill that she brought to this table. And it's really been helpful because... I'm very good at computers, but sometimes not so good at some of the other organizing that I should be. She's helped to shore that up. She does great. She's very meticulous. She's very detail-oriented. So all of our RFPs, which are requests for proposals that the government does, she makes sure they are perfect. And we have a very high track record when we do those because of the amount of time she takes to do it right. And nurses have to be very meticulous. Right. right. So, But you've got a lot of other people, I think. So you've got nine people on your team, you know, um, your wife is one of those. So what is that like? What is your kind of biggest, I don't know, say concern or kind of ongoing that you're always massaging or, you know, what is it when, so, you know, you've just got a large team. How do you uh, operate that way? So, and it's, it's interesting you say that because not only are we nine people, but we're always, always been virtual. So everybody else is kind of learning, how do you deal with not people for in front of you? And I remember a few years back, I was talking to a company and they said, oh, I can never have my employees leave because if I can't see them, they're not working. I don't have that ability. I have to trust that my technicians and my other staff work from a distance. And one of the things, we've all heard about job satisfaction. And one of the things that I figured out just recently, probably within the last two years, is the idea that there is never 100% job satisfaction. So what we've implemented is what we call the 70-30 rule. You should love your job 70% of the time and hate it 30% of the time. I find that's worth me. You know, if I have to call on a collections call, I don't like doing that. There's other things that I'm not that thrilled with. But I find if I'm doing things I normally love, I can do the things I don't. And what we've told our team is, if you ever feel you are not in that 70-30 rule, tell us. Mm. And actually, our operations guy had come and told. He was doing certain types of work that he just didn't like doing. So we made adjustments Mm. because when you love your work, I don't have to watch you and I don't have to watch my team because they're doing what they want to be doing, not what they have to be doing. And they do what they have to do on those small times. So they will do it to get back to what they love to do. And it has been a phenomenal change in our entire culture. And again, you probably started 28 years ago with that. Oh, no, no. This is in the last three years. Before that, we had some real issues with being yeah, able to no, manage some of the people. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I will tell you, I'll applaud you because I think that is being very astute and very in tune, especially to the needs of your employees. And it's and especially, I would think, in your particular world in technology, you know, the, the skill set that you need from individuals, I would think would be you know, difficult. You're not just going to like, Hey, somebody's going to come in tomorrow and we'll replace him. You know, the, the ability to manage and interact and be concerned, um, sensitive to your employees, to your team. I think that's, you know, the more that you can do that, I love the example that you just gave. Uh, it's uh, it's a great win for you and your, your team and the company as a whole. Well, yeah. And as a small business, you, you can't, I can't pay what an IBM can pay. 
We just don't have those type of resources. And so you got to give people some other reason to love working with you. And things like this are ways you can do that. And especially now with the stay-at-home orders, and it's probably going to start to lock down a little more, you want to be able to have that where you can trust them. Mm. Trusting employees is much more productive than managing employees. And over, right. you know, and you do still, we still have goals. We still have objectives. We still have tasks and we still track that. But I don't have to call them up and say, hey, look, it's Tuesday and I don't see you working on this. They come to me and say, in fact, we had a great meeting today, our marketing meeting. And my team saying, well, I saw your marketing plan, but I think we should do this here. And I think I can get this done. And I found out that a lot of the changes we are looking to implement this week, my team already implemented on our webpage and stuff. And so it's nice that they're taking the initiative and coming back to me instead of me having to set all the drum and fife. Yeah. Nice. Very good. All right. And I know you've got some challenges and have and are dealing with various challenges. And I know you've, you know, as you just talked about, your team meeting was probably remote. And I know you're doing some very cool things with that. But before we hit that, so Ken, do you know what time it is? And it's time for the seventh (laughs) inning stretch. There we go. The seventh inning stretch, Ken, it goes so fast, right? Um, So because you're in technology, I had our research team kind of dig in. I said, find me something kind of technology related with baseball. And uh, we we came up with um, these kind of uh, questions here, this question. So which of the three technology concepts hasn't been used, has not been used at an MLB park. You ready? Yes. All right. This is good. Here we go. Specialized sleep rooms, virtual reality, or robotic umpires. Ooh. Um... I remember the one that has not been. Yes, I know. I'm I'm, I'm trying to think the robotic umpires. I know they don't use them yet, but I know they are having second judges or, you know, that judging decision on the robotic umpire thing where they still are checking it. In fact, there's a company I was just seeing that was being more accurate than the live umpires and everybody (laughs) hates it. I know I'm going to hate it. I'm sorry. I don't want a computer telling me if I did a good Uh, job. I'm going to say robotic umpires. Oh my gosh, you are so good. You are techno wizard. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, uh, the robotic umpires is the correct answer. So I will, I'll go through all of these here real quick though too. So the specialized sleep rooms, they do have those in play in for specifically players, not for you know a fan coming and like I need some shut-eye. But uh, at Fenway... Uh, with the Red Sox, they have these special rooms and pods set up for players. Uh, virtual reality, yes, actually in multiple um, stadiums across the country right now, um, teams have utilizing VR for opposing pitchers so that batters can step into the box and kind of see uh, the pitchers that they'll be facing, as well as pitchers throwing to opposing batters. So (laughs) very interesting, but you nailed it. Robotic umpires, uh, they've tested it in the Atlantic League uh, games with an eventual, maybe who knows, kind of rollout into the minors and or major league. So I don't know. Sometimes too much technology takes away the feel of some of the things Uh, you do. I agree. I agree. All right. So let's get back into it. Play ball. Yeah, there we go. I love that guy. So uh, back to the questions. Sure. So uh, here we are in the midst of this uh, global pandemic. And, you know, COVID has been incredibly challenging for so many businesses, almost every business that's out there. And I know you've been doing um, really some great things, not only with your clients, but as, as well as opening up to some great services just to anybody. 
why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What kind of drove you to that? And I think it's a great story. So. So one of the things we do sell is we do sell the Microsoft Office 365 environment. And one of the things a lot of people don't realize is Teams comes free with most Office 365 environments. So when this started, we did a program for eight weeks where every Wednesday we did a Teams training to help people understand how to take advantage instead of buying a Zoom or, you know, or using the free one, which kept them to 45 minutes. They have this power already in their environment. They already own this. Most people that have Office 365 don't know all the power that they can do. And so we showed people how to use Office 365 for video chat, video conferencing, quick meetings, because all of us have that situation where, oh, I need to talk to my one employee. It used to be you walked in the room. Well, that's not going to work anymore. So you have to use the power that you have. So Microsoft Teams gives you that ability to click on a meet now and call up somebody and do a quick Zoom-like meeting right there, right then. But it goes beyond that. You can have things where now that we're virtual, how do we get to our files? How do we get to our information? How do we secure our information? Used to be, you know, people are trying to figure out how to have their servers on site be accessible through VPNs. We can help make that much easier. And that's one of the things that we've been doing a lot of, especially with this COVID situation, is moving away from that idea of a central office where all your information is contained in that office and moving to a cloud environment where your team can be anywhere in the United States and working. And we've actually now started to add national customers Mm. because of this move to, we don't go on site that much anymore. Nobody wants us on site. So we've had to adjust how we do work and we're helping them, our team, our customers are to learn how to do work work that way as well. Right. So, you know, everybody else, you know, and me included, you know, come kind of mid-March, like the bomb blew up and everybody's scrambling and trying to figure out, you came up with an incredible, what I think both a service and a solution, not only for your existing clients, but as well as for others. So what, I'm very curious, what drove you or how did you arrive at that? And how did you begin to implement or engage it and then attract? Um, and so really the kind of that whole motivation, because I know you said, well, it's kind of, uh, you know, open the door maybe for some national clients. And I'm sure, you know, that was that was part of it. But I'm, I'm curious on the whole story. Yes. No. And, and it really was not we didn't expect to get customers from it. What we found was our customers were asking for this. And we realized very quickly, I mean, we, we had been doing training, actually, and we do a nonprofit training because nonprofits can get Office 365 for free. So we already were doing this training. We just didn't do it online. But what we learned really quick was people don't know what they don't know. I couldn't believe the number of times I would talk to a new customer that had Office 365 and was like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could do this. So I believe education and training is the best way to do anything. We always, when we add a new customer, we work on setting up some training for them because the more you can use it, the more you will use it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember the days when there was solitaire on the computer and every company's like, we don't want solitaire on our computer. When I was in charge, I wanted everybody to have solitaire because the more you used it, the more you were comfortable. So we were doing this and we can send these videos. We still have all the videos from the training sessions. We'll share those with anybody that wants it because it helps your team and it helps you to know how to use it. And I know people are afraid to ask. People are afraid to look foolish, look like they don't know. And I admit, I don't know. There are many things I still have to learn. So I want to find the best places to learn these things. And I figured we could help give that to the people out there. Mm You know what I what I picked up out of that, especially something that you said earlier, which was pivot, because you already had something kind of in place. You were doing some in-person training for nonprofits, um, which is also another fabulous thing. 
But you realize I could kind of pivot here, offer this online and really kind of expand the people that we can serve and provide the solution and training for. And, you know, again, it's, I think that's a, a great lesson for any, um, you know, obviously a small business owner or entrepreneur that's out there listening right now is, you know, that's so much of the journey of entrepreneurship is understanding your situation and can you pivot and do you need to pivot and how can you do that? And often it's taking advantage of something you're already doing, but a find it in a different way. Yes, that's exactly right. And not being afraid of a pivot. And that's probably the biggest thing that I've come to accept is I expect to have a pivot at least every 18 months, if not more. And so I look for it. And I think we're used to being told and we're used to being do the same thing, do it right, and you'll be successful. But that's not how it works. That's why I say I expect to fail more than I succeed because I don't know if any of your listeners know of the lean startup approach. The more you fail properly, the more you learn how to succeed later on. Right. And so I, p- pivoting is failing and changing right. and then being better at your failure the next time. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you what, that is so gold. I would be like, drop the mic and like, all right, that's a wrap. But you are absolutely right on with that. I mean, I think you have to expect to pivot. You have to expect to change because once you have that mentality, then you're open to when the situation is there in front of you instead of kind of blinders on and not recognizing it. And so that is, that seriously is drop the mic. That was good stuff right there. Um, all right. So just in, in talking with you and interacting with you, both just now and and certainly our relationship over the last year and a half or so. I know you're engaged in your business. I know you get enthused by it. You've got 70% you like, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but how do you stay engaged? How do you keep that level of intensity and focus there? And so that you can, you know, continue to drive, look for the pivots, all of that. And you, you mentioned my 70-30 rule, and I'm using that in my personal approach to it as well. Because if you find that you are falling into that 30 is becoming 60 or 90, don't do it. Change. That's where that pivot comes in. The reason why we pivot every year and a half to two years is because, honestly, I would get bored of doing the same thing. And maybe it's something about IT people. We know we have to learn something new every 18 months anyways, but it's always new. What I was doing, even what I was doing a year and a half ago is changed. We moved into doing Office 365 and we did Office 365, but it's more of a focus now. We are now looking at really focusing in on protecting people's teams. That's something that's a new marketing approach for us. So we keep changing. And that dynamicness means that my days are never the same. And I think consistency is an enemy. And I know in small business, once you have enough revenue coming in and you can feel safe, sometimes that's the worst thing you can have for your business because you always have to feel that need to strive, that need to drive forward. And success can be an enemy to that because success implies that you're doing it right. And I've always been under the attitude, I'm always doing it wrong. I just have to learn how to do it better the next time. Mm -hmm. And every time we had too much success, I know that's a weird word, but every time things were going too good, you get too complacent. And I never want to be complacent again. Right, right. More gold, more, <laughs> more droplets of gold coming from the canned finger. We should do a book. It would be good. Uh, uh, yeah. I have a book out there. You, you have a book. All right. <laughs> hey, um, 
So techno wizard here, tell us, look into your crystal ball. So what do you see, not necessarily from a technology standpoint, but for on technology partners, um, what do you see as the next steps, especially in technology, because it does evolve so quickly and how we can apply technology to business and, and uh, the way that we operate. But what are you planning for and how are you planning for it? So there's definitely going to be a shift. People are going to move more and more into using cloud technology. We've heard this for years. Uh, the difference is, thanks to this COVID uh, experience, people are now believing they can become virtual, where a lot of people, especially small and mid-sized companies, felt they couldn't do it. They couldn't afford it. They couldn't act on it. So my feeling is, I think right now, Microsoft holds most of the market, but it's only 15% of the market right now. So I would not be surprised if by the end of maybe three years, most people will be working as a remote client within a company. You'll have people working from home as a general role, and the people that are working in the offices will be more of an exception. Hmm. And that's because we've proven that you can do it. And I know everybody hates being home right now because there's a big difference between the normal working at home where you can still go out to restaurants and right, movies right. and working at home 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which is right where we are. And I know the difference because like I said, we've been virtual for a long time, but this is different because I never, I'm glad to have come out here and done this with you because it's nice to get out of my house. Right, right. Um, but once we're past that, then you'll see when people get back to that sense of norm, then they're going to be back to being able to work from home because it's not going to be a 24-7 cage. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I've had several conversations with folks in regards to kind of this whole COVID and uh, what it's done. And I would agree with you. I think our society was already kind of moving toward that, probably at a snail's pace or slug or something very slow. With the COVID and the challenges with that and for people to having to kind of maintain some productivity, it really is just pushed, you know, just with a rocket engine <laughs> yes. into the future and is and has forced some of this um, transformation, I think, in the way that we work, the way that we work and stay productive with our companies and with our businesses and and with each other. You know, there's some of the, the virtual you know, Zoom or some of those types of, of platforms have been good, but there's a lot of complaints. I think, you know, I could see as well, just technology still kind of blossoming and still providing even better platforms for that. Because now this is just me trying to give my own, you know, nuggets of gold here. Um, uh, but I, you know, when it comes down to it, people still want to have relationship or relate with people in business. And whether it's a coworker or whether it's a client and a vendor, and a vendor but it is, you know, we still, we're relational beings. We connect and that's critical for us both to do business and just to maintain a level of happiness, I think. And so it'll be interesting, I think, to see how technology will continue to evolve to, to hopefully nurture that connection. Yes. And I think it's important. And I'm actually on a side project working on some mental health systems using telehealth. And one of the things I tell when we're talking to a school about it is this does not replace in-person counseling. There will never be a replacement for another person sitting across from you when you have a mental issue. But what it does is it gives you an alternative when you can't do that. Right. And I think that's something that people get confused. They think that Zoom is going to replace in-person meetings. It can't replace them. It can augment them. It can enhance what you can do. So I want to meet you in person. Normally before COVID, my sales cycle would be, I would meet you in person. Then we can have phone calls and Zoom conferences, but you have to know and trust me. If you don't know and trust me, it's not going to go anywhere. And it's hard to get to trust somebody on a Zoom call because you don't feel like a human being. You feel like a camera picture. 
And so we are suffering with it now because we don't have a choice. But I think once we're done, there's going to be a backlash, all these video conferencings for a little while, right. because we're sick of being video conferenced to death. And that's why I think it's going to take a little time. That's why I said about three years. But we have broken through that window that you can't be virtual. And so we'll find that mix because normally in a week I would do four to five lunch meetings and four to five coffee meetings, and then I'd be virtual, but I had human interaction. Right. We don't have that. That's what's making this feel so isolating and alone. Once we get through that, then we can get back to where we can still do those lunch meetings, but not have to go and sit in an office. Because right. the truth is, an office or my home desk functions the same way. It's just being able to connect with people that would be different. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. And thank you for sharing about the great work you're doing on the mental health piece. I think it's great. And you're doing that stuff directly right in schools and helping kids. And I can't uh, applaud you enough for that work. All right. So we're at the bottom of the ninth. Um, let me hit you up with this. Uh, so we have all different types of business owners or people that uh, are looking at and thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. You've got 28 years of experience as a business owner. I mean, you're like that old grizzled veteran out there. <laughs> you put the miles on the bus. What is some of the advice for those starting out in their business that are just like picked up the bat and they're stepping into the box? What do you got? So there's a couple things. First of all, you want to find good advisors and allies. Like for you with marketing, get a company like yours, um, get a good accountant, get a good lawyer, find a business coach. I have to admit, I resisted getting a business coach for a long time because I thought I could do it myself. Don't do it yourself. You can be an entrepreneur and not be alone. You're not an island. And so finding those trusted resources are one of the first things. Look to organizations like the SBDC or Jumpstart, depending on what you're doing. Now, Jumpstart is going to be if you want to do a fast startup. Make sure that you're picking the right organization. I've worked with Jumpstart for 13 years. And for those of you who don't know who they are, they do economic development for high growth companies. But if you're not a high growth company, if you want to be a... Um, janitorial service, Jumpstart wouldn't be the right place for you, but the SBDC would. So you want to pick where you want to go. You don't want to spend your time trying to get somebody that isn't the right fit to work with you. That's the other thing is be willing to quote, fire your advisors quickly if they don't help you get moving forward. Mm. Don't be afraid, just like you would fire a vendor, get them over or an employee that isn't doing the job. These people are here to help you. They should be helping you. If you're not feeling helped, and that doesn't mean they don't make you feel uncomfortable. They right. should make you feel uncomfortable. In fact, right. if they make you feel too comfortable, get rid of them and find one that doesn't. <laughs> um, another pivot. <laughs> another right? pivot. Yes. yes. Never be comfortable. That is one thing. But never be too uncomfortable because if you get to the point of not moving, then you've gotten too uncomfortable. So you got to find that magical balance between being uncomfortable enough to keep moving, but not so uncomfortable that you're afraid to take a step. Yeah, that's that's been the biggest things. And the other thing is this. And I, it, it's funny. I was just listening to the one minute marketing. He said, basically, you should only do this to make money. If you're here because you have other highfalutin reasons, don't do it. I disagree with him. The only way you can do those highfalutin things, I want to make a better world with what I do, but I have to make money to do that. If you're a business, you have to make money to do the greater things. Right. So when you're thinking about, I don't want to be that bloodthirsty business owner, don't think of it that way. Think of it, the money you make lets you do the great things you want to do. If you don't make the money... You can't do any of them. Yep. Well stated. 
All right. And I'm sure for your boss, you would like to make money. Would be good. <laughs> yeah, she wants me to make money. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Ken, uh, thank you for being here. How do people uh, connect with you? What's, uh, uh, what's a good way? So they can actually, we are doing a program right now. We are doing free risk uh, reviews for companies to help see where they are. You can go to our webpage, which is on technologypartners.com. And right there, there'll be a link to go and sign up. And we're doing these free to help people learn, again, that training thing that we're talking about. You don't know what you don't know. And so you can also call us at uh, 216-920-3100, and we would gladly get connected with you. Or you can email us at info at ontechpartners.com and just ask for help. We are glad to help anyone, and we know how it all works. Oh, so good. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for being here with us today. I appreciate it. It's yeah. been, a, been a good show. And, and really, you have given uh, just nuggets of gold in uh, business management. So, and as we like to say, that's the ball game. Right. I don't know why I play that even because it really doesn't go. What I need is a soundbite that does say that's the ball game. I don't know. Maybe I'll get you to do it. Or at least home run. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) At least something there. Okay. So anyway, well, listen, everybody, thanks for joining us today. And if you liked our show, please tell your friends, uh, subscribe, and of course, review. And as we like to say, we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.